Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you for joining us once again for Time to Come Alive. My name is Valerie. I'm your host. I'm also your leadership coach. I'm so excited that we have the opportunity every week to connect somebody that we know will help us become more conscious, more connected with others, and create something of, of abundance and amazing things in our lives. And today is no exception. And in just a few moments, I will introduce my very special guest. For the moment, though, if you're watching this live, I want you all to make sure you share this on your Facebook page, or if you have access to this um, later, if you're watching the recording, share this with your friends and family, because I feel like these are great conversation starters. It'll give you an opportunity to connect to the people in your own lives in more meaningful ways. Now, as we typically start in all of our sessions, I want you to prepare to listen to what we have to offer today. And if you would, please, you might wanna shut down anything that you have, any devices, or at least put them on silent for just a bit so you can concentrate. I invite you to either close your eyes or unfocus your gaze just a little bit so that you can gaze inward and take a couple of deep breaths the slow exhale. Today we're gonna to be talking about money, financial abundance. I want you to think back to some of the lessons that you've learned in your life about money. Where did they come from? Who taught them to you? Perhaps it was watching your parents and through their behavior, learning about how to best deal with it. Perhaps you experienced it when you earned an allowance or you got birthday money and you know you learned how to manage it just through experiencing it. For some of us, lessons are learned when we start looking at loans or school or perhaps a car a house a business think about all the lessons that you've learned over your lifetime and how they've served you now it's likely that there's some area of your life where the money lessons also left a gap. What are those gaps? Are the gaps not making enough? Not saving enough? Not spending enough? What are those gaps in your life around money that you would like to once and for all uncover? All right, take another couple deep breaths. And you may refocus your gaze, open your eyes, and rejoin us. We're gonna have a fantastic conversation about, guess what, money. <laughs> Clearly, it's on the brain now. And I'm so excited because it's not a subject that we get to talk about as often and as openly as I think it deserves for something that drives so much of our self-worth, the, the worth that we share with others, the services and products that run our lives, literally 
are all hanging in the balance because of the money that comes and goes with through them. So today I have this fantastic guest who I had the pleasure to meet, Jaleesa Harrison, about two months ago, we determined, at a workshop that I was facilitating. And what really connected me to Jaleesa was, first of all, we had a very brief conversation. And if I can get a brief conversation and walk away excited, I know that's somebody that I want to talk to some more. And Jaleesa, one of the things I so appreciate about you, because I'd asked you what you did, and you mentioned My Money Mogul, which is the name of your company. And we started, I started asking like, well, what does that mean? And why money? And you shared about the legacy that you wanted to leave for your child and, and the, the openness and the willingness to engage in a conversation, although it was brief, but it was deep about something that most of us kind of, you know, play a little hard to get around. <laughs> I was so impressed by it And I thought, okay, you need to be on this podcast because I, I want you to share all the things that you've learned and the things that you're doing that help other people learn. So welcome. Yes, thank you for having me, Valerie. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I'm excited to have you here. So let's jump in. First of all, I think it's important for people to understand a little bit more about you. So is there anything else you want to add to your introduction other than the fact that you're a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're a wife, and you love money? <laughs> I, I love helping others with their money. I love, I've learned to talk about money because I think that it's such a thing that it has so much shame around it um, and that people just don't want to talk about and they don't want to have a real honest conversation about. So it takes a while to kind of like open up and just be willing to share the story. Mm. And so that's something that I'm constantly learning how to do. And I'm constantly helping others do that yeah well let's let's talk about this what does it look like when someone has shame around money like what kind of things do you hear or what do people not say when that that tells you mm, there's some there's some shame going on um well some of the things that people say is that money is not important um, <laughs> <laughs> that it's not all about money you know sometimes they'll um, talk about negatively about people that have money um, in the sense that making money makes you evil or bad or um, not genuine, not authentic. Uh, a lot of those are the conversations that you hear people talk about and you can tell that there's some shame around maybe their own financial situation or something that they don't necessarily want to reveal. Mm. So, so let's, I want to get into your story pretty soon, but I, I want, I'm curious about this idea that when someone says money is not important or it's not all about money, how would something like that in your mind translate to potentially being around shame? Because I find that sometimes it's easy for us to focus on, to say that money is not important, to kind of make ourselves feel better for not pursuing it or not having enough or not being in the financial situation that we want to be. And I think that if we took the time to do the inner work and to do the deep dive and to really ask ourselves what we really want and how money plays a part in that, that would never be a, uh, uh, that would never be something that we actually say. Mm, that's interesting. So, so you see that money sometimes, or, or people saying that they're detached from money and that it's not important, is almost like a justification for perhaps the situation that they're in. 
And you also hear that there's a lot of judgment around having abundance or having a lot of money. So people are maybe not as interested in, in being in those camps of people that are judged so much. I, I, I really think there's something there. I almost equate it to somebody saying like, food's not important. Like this just, you know, they're just calories. It's just food. But <laughs> food does play a huge role on our mood, <laughs> on our energy yeah. level, on our physical abilities. Like there's tons of things that food definitely has an impact on. I think money could also be said the same way. It is used as an instrument, as a tool that we are able to then uh, exchange in order to get certain things. But, but you're right. I think the conversations around what it means to us may be fraught with so much judgment that people shy away from it. Very yeah. Cool. So what I mean, was that like? Go ahead. I was going to say, let's be honest. I mean, we need it to survive. <laughs> you, yes. You can't survive without it. Yes. And there, and it doesn't always have to look like the way I think we, we can talk more about that later, but I think money I've learned in my life that abundance doesn't necessarily look like dollar bills. Mm -hmm. It sometimes looks like, you know, free. <laughs> it sometimes <laughs> looks like uh, favors. Sometimes it looks like opportunities yeah. that might in the background drive an income or drive revenue in some way, shape or form if you're in business. But I want to now switch gears and talk a little bit about you. So, so what was your belief growing up about money? Like, what, how, what did you identify was your, your, your core belief? Um, I would say growing up around money. So my mom um, was a teenage mom when she had me. And she was a single mother um, who actually lost her mother at the age of 17. So from that point, she was pretty much on her own. And I think that indirectly, the things that she taught me about money were just that I, I always felt like as a child, there was never enough. And there were never any conversations about money unless the conversation was about there not being enough. Now, um, I don't fault my mother for that at all. I know that she did, like she taught what she knew at the time. Um, but I feel like I took a lot of those lessons to me as an lessons with me as an adult. So once I, you know, I was told what a lot of millennials, um, because I am a millennial, <laughs> have been told is that education is the key to breaking it out of whatever, whatever um, condition or situation you were in. So it's kind of like this ideal that you go to school at any cost. Mm -hmm. And I racked up way too many student loans, way too much debt, way too much credit card debt. Um, I had been on my own for so long that I felt like that was what I had to do to survive. And even though I was working two jobs throughout college, I was still acquiring massive amounts of debt. So once I graduated from college, I went and got, you know, what everyone says to do, go get a good job. <laughs> and I got a great job and I was working this job and I thought that everything was going great. Money was flying out of the door. I was living paycheck to paycheck, but I had this fantastic job. So it's like, who cares at this point until one day <laughs> I walked into work. We got a three o'clock meeting and um, at this meeting, they announced that they were essentially closing the building that I worked in. So, and it was, it was pretty fast. I think that some, I hear some stories where people talk about layoffs where they had like 60 days to prepare 
this was a Wednesday. I specifically remember it being Wednesday. They told us not to come to work on Thursday. They told us on Friday to come to work and they would have people there helping us to file for unemployment and any kind of services that we might need. That's how fast this happened. Mm. Um, and I think we had like a two week severance. So we were going to get paid for those two days and then we were going to get paid for two weeks and that's it. Mm. And as someone living paycheck to paycheck who has, you know, thousands of dollars in, in student loans and a brand new car that I just financed and an apartment in the city that I really can't afford, that is devastating. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did what I thought most people would do. I tried to run home to my mom. I got in the car. I drove all the way to Houston. But keep in mind, my mom's financial situation is not in the position where she can even help or support me. So I was, I quickly learned that I'm on my own. <laughs> mm, that's interesting. So, so I want to back up a little bit because, you know, one of the things that you pointed out in the beginning was that the conversations growing up that you absorbed often was that there was not enough money, right? There was never enough money, that there was something that was kind of uh, scarce, there's a lot of scarcity. So I'm curious about how, how did that lead to, so I don't want to make assumptions. I don't want people to make assumptions here, but how did that lead to your then being so dependent on money that you had, you were so leveraged, right? You had so much debt out there. How did those two things match up? You know, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I think that because I grew up thinking that there wasn't enough, the moment I got even a little bit, even though it wasn't even mine, I kind of like divulged, like give it all to me so that I can like, I wasn't saving it, but I just felt like finally I've made it, mm. even though it was false. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a trick. You're in the matrix. <laughs> right. Right. Finally, I've made it. <laughs> Finally, I'm here. Finally, I've arrived. And it was all a lie. <laughs> oh, okay, so I can imagine, especially at that age, that you didn't think it was all a lie. I mean, obviously, you this is how you decided, right? That, that's how you chose, whether it was a conscious or unconscious choice born out of some of the stories that you'd inherited, that this was how you your life and money was going to go. I'm curious about, so, so let's, because I think there's, we talk about debt, but I don't want to just jump to the, to the glory, right? <laughs> let's, right? Let's talk right. a little bit about what was the impact of having that kind of life, even pre-layoff. What, 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 what did that life look like that you had student loan and your car debt and, you know, mm -hmm. an expensive apartment? What was that like for you in, in, in personally? Um, I would say that it was... At the time, I felt like I had to put on a certain persona. I had to be a certain person, you know, like now I'm like college educated, you know? So like, for some reason, I had to elevate my financial situation, even though I was not financially elevated in reality because of the debt. Um, so I think that it caused me to want to, I guess, put on this like, I don't want to say fake persona, but honestly, a lot of my money was going to carry on this lifestyle. And um, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is, is about time perspective. 
And when you think about wealthy people, wealthy people make decisions on how they're going to affect them 20, 50, 30 years from now, how they're going to affect their legacy, how they're going to affect, you know, they'll maybe make sacrifices right now so that 20 years from now, they can live a different lifestyle or their kids can live a different lifestyle. And I think that when I was acquiring that much debt, I was only thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about, hey, guess what? One day you're going to have to pay this back. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't thinking about how is this going to affect my future children and their ability to go to college? Yeah. You know, how is this going to affect my future husband that I'm going to meet? Um, you know, when I have to have the, the conversation in premarital counseling, like, hey, babe, guess what? I have a lot of debt. Yeah. <laughs> or before then, like, I, I wasn't thinking about that. And I think that now I have those, those thoughts and those conversations, and I'm looking at different situations as like, how is this going to affect me in 20 years? Mm -hmm. Not just right now, but now, but you know, 20 years. That's huge because I even think, you know, and I, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I'm a Gen Xer, so, so we're not too far apart, but <laughs> I, I didn't really, like you, I didn't learn tons about money outside of my home, meaning my, my family, you know, my dad was a consummate saver. That was part of his story growing up. And he was, you know, make sure that every single penny, you know, he held on to. And my mom was a little bit more splendid with money. So she was, she was a free spirit, as Dave Ramsey likes to call it, and, mm -hmm. and, and money. And the lot, so much conflict. Ooh, so much conflict. When you have a saver and a spender in a relationship, it just doesn't go well if, there, if there's not a lot of consciousness around money. And there wasn't at the time. So I learned a lot of things. I think I inherited a little bit of both mm -hmm. and primarily was more on the spending side, although I wasn't necessarily trying to maintain some lavish lifestyle. I wasn't very conscious about why and when, not, not thinking necessarily about the future. But I, I do remember, you know, I got into debt with my student loans, but I wasn't thinking about how much is this debt? <laughs> how much is this education literally going to cost me? Right. right? Like, oh, you just pay whatever payments you have. Right. And, and, it, and it took me years before I really started to confront what that meant and I'll, I'll 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 share this and then i want to get back to to how you shifted your mindset one i had a, a fortunate encounter at a party with this gentleman we were dancing so it was totally social i had no idea who this guy was and he went on and on about how he had the house and he had the boat and they had the car and the multiple streams of income and went on and on and i remember at the time i was i had a corporate job i was very proud of what i did and he insisted that that was just a way to sell out, that your path is entrepreneurship and multiple streams of income, don't, you know, <laughs> working for the man or whatever. And I was incensed. But of course, we were dancing, so you can't be incensed dancing. <laughs> so I, I just tried to keep it light, kept it moving. I'm like, okay, whatever. And yeah. inside, I was like, who is this guy? What does he think he, you know, what, do you, what does he think he's telling me? He doesn't know me, like all this stuff. In any case, the next day, I was still ruminating about this encounter. And I was like, man, this guy made me so upset. He got under my skin, but I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, he's nobody. Like, I don't know him. And when I shared this with my older brother in his uh, wisdom, <laughs> I realized, oh, this guy was so clear about his beliefs 
and his behavior around money, his, he's very aligned with what he believes is true about money. And he's able to articulate it. I can't articulate my beliefs. I, I, I know I believe a certain way, but I don't know why. And I, I kind of inherited all this stuff about money. So I just behave in a way that I think is most appropriate, but I hadn't really explored it and, and articulated it. So he pushed all the right buttons. In other words, I'm so grateful to him. And because of that, helped me take the next steps, um, which was, you know, eventually getting debt free and, and moving through a bunch of other things. So I want to see what was your moment? Like, what was that opportunity that you had that was presented that you then were able to shift? all this stuff that you'd inherited around money? Well, I would say being laid off, uh, this happened back in, in 2013, but that layoff was a huge um, shift for me because first of all, it let me know that getting a good job or whatever they tell you is not necessarily safe. <laughs> um, and it also, it also just made me realize that if anything in my life was going to change, it was up to me. I had been on my own for a long time, but I think that that weekend that I got my car and I drove back home to Houston and I went and I slept, slept on my mom's couch. But then I realized that I could not stay there. <laughs> um, that made me realize that something's got to change. And I didn't know what at the time. And that's what I tell a lot of people. Like, it's not like you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm changing tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to save $10,000 right now. I'm, I'm going to double my income. It, that's not how it works. And I think that people get so frustrated because in their mind, they think that that's how it works. Mm. And um I did an episode about this on my podcast talking about how to become an overnight success. And the, the title of course is misleading because there is no such thing <laughs> <laughs> as an overnight success. You know, even we look at people like Beyonce or Oprah or, you know, whoever you want to look at who you admire, whoever, Bill Gates, you realize that there's, times they struggle for a long while you know apple struggled for a long while they declared bankruptcy they didn't just become this massive tech company that everyone wants to have iphones and macbooks that's not how it works mm -hmm. so if you are willing to go through that and you're looking at like i said time perspective they were looking in the future like in 2020 we're gonna be one of the top tech companies mm -hmm. not thinking about the current right reality. And if you're willing to do the things that you need to do, take the steps necessary, you can get there also. Absolutely. Oh, you're so right. I think that we do want things to come fast, especially things that are painful. We don't like to be in pain for very long. So once we identify that there's pain, it's like get rid of it as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And that doesn't, also, that doesn't always mean it's effective. What was your first baby step? Can you remember right after you started to get clear on what you needed to shift? What was your baby step that you took? Well, I knew that I had to create something of my own. Um, first thing that I ne needed to do was get back to work um, because I needed to have some sort of income just to alleviate. Like, this is what I tell people. If you are in extreme financial hardship, you cannot operate from there. 
you cannot there's no creativity there there's there's nothing that you can do you have to get out of that in order to be able to hear you know in order to be able to see the vision in order to be able to do the things necessary you have to get out of the extreme financial situation so you have to get to a level where your basic needs are met and you can actually think um so i went back to work was first thing then i started thinking about what are some ways that i can increase my income and then decrease my debt um, and from there, that kind of led me on this kind of rabbit hole of personal development, because what I started learning was that our, what our outer world is a reflection of our inner world. So um, basically, you know, the more that I develop myself, the more that I create abundance within myself, the more that I'll be able to create in the, on the outside. So that's kind of where it started, the shift. But I love what you just said, too, because, yes, if we're in survival mode, and in your case, you said extreme financial hardship, it's hard to be creative. It's hard to, to allow things to show up. It's hard to even see opportunities sometimes. And that's because, you know, we are in, in that, that brain state that you know, fight, flight, or freeze. We're, we're either fighting or freezing <laughs> or fleeing. Mm -hmm. And all of that requires so much mental energy that it's impossible to see some really basic, perhaps some really fruitful steps that one could take. So to that point, I think that's, that's brilliant. And the fact that we do have to get creative when it comes to accessing abundance, right? And I think that openness that you're talking about, it, it requires us to be relaxed enough to know that, okay, our major needs are going to be taken care of. Uh, so that's, that's really, really key. I'm curious though. So you mentioned obviously that the, the layoff was, was that the, the breaking point, right? Or that, that was the, the dip there. What, what resources, what information did you seek or did you discover that helped you move along this path? So, um, the first thing that I did was try to find anywhere that I can find financial information. At the time, the Susie Orman show was on every Saturday. I used to record every episode. I would watch every episode. I would go to her YouTube and binge watch the Can You Afford It segment was like my favorite segment. Um, Denied. <laughs> I love, I loved that show. I was so sad when it went off. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I would say that she was my first exposure to like this whole financial, like get your whole financial world in order. Um, and then from there, I, I think it's like a rabbit hole. I got into Dave Ramsey. I've done financial peace several times, so it didn't stick the first two or three times I did it. Don't worry if it didn't for you. <laughs> um, and then I... I, I myself never intended to become a financial expert. I will say that. And there are days that I even still struggle with, with the term financial expert. But for some reason, 2015, I started sharing my story online. Um, and it picked up a little traction. And people started asking me to become, you know, to come share my story on their podcast or their episode or whatever it, whatever it is. And I think that I became a financial expert 
which I never intended to, but um, from there I met more financial experts and a whole movement of, I recently over the last year was introduced to the FIRE movement, which is um, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it is basically a movement of people who are saving about 50, 60, 70% of their income and becoming financially independent in the sense that their money makes enough money to where they never have to work again. Um, And it's crazy because I've met people that, you know, are retiring at 26 or 30 or 45 or whatever have you. And it just blows my mind how these people are amassing you know, a million dollars or $1.5 million in the short amount of time, all due to extreme focus and the mindset hmm. to do it. What is, what does FIRE stand for? Financial independence? Retire early. Retire early. Mm-hmm. Oh, hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Ah, that's so cool. That's so cool. So let's, let's, let's go there then because so now all this experience, and I do believe, you know, and I think it was Maya Angelou that says, when you learn, you teach, right? Now that you've learned all these different lessons and you move forward to your becoming a financial expert. So what kind of things are you noticing that people are struggling with that you help them? Um, definitely the mindset. I think that even for me, that's still a struggle for me, but that's one thing that I know is behind everything is the mindset. I think also... More recently, um, in the last couple of years, I've just been realizing how much of a difference entrepreneurship and business and being open to being able to create your own income in any way, shape or form that that is, but releasing the ideal that you have to rely only on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. So that is something that has definitely played a part in my financial journey and a lot and a lot in the clients that i have helped in their financial journey because i think we all have gifts that we can begin to monetize and get paid for um now i'm not one of those coaches that is like everybody quit their job like jobs are not for you because listen i've left work gone back to work left work, gone back to work. Um, and I'm currently two weeks back into working. <laughs> Got it. But the ideal is that how are you using the money that you are creating, whether that's coming from a job, whether that's coming from a business to build another asset. Um, and the other day, actually, I was watching a documentary on Warren Buffett because of course he's one of my favorite people because he's one of the best investors of all time but i thought it was so fascinating that every time that he was he would get more money and whatever revenue he had first in his first stock that he had invested in he always reinvested it in something else that was going to be more profitable so he'd Mm -hmm. take money from his stock and go invest in coca-cola then he'd take money from his stock and go buy nebraska furniture mart and all these things so that he has assets that are making their own money. And Mm -hmm. I think that even with Dave Ramsey's plan, yes, get debt free, but what do you do after that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I think, baby step number six, in all fairness. (laughs) It's kind of vague, though. It says, like, invest. I think the step is, like, 
invest and live like no one else, right? <laughs> and give like no one else. You're like, okay, that's great, but what does that look like? <laughs> so I like continue to live like no one else. <laughs> <laughs> so am I like, you know, I mean he 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 talks about it to a certain extent, but it's also like a one one vehicle kind of thing where I believe there are all these different layers. Um, to this. And I think he's talking about it a lot more now than he previously was back when I first discovered him back in 2013 or whenever that was because times are changing. Mm -hmm. But I think the fire movement in a sense picks up where he left off. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that I've been helping people do too is also pick up where he leaves off. Got it. To know how to make money work for you. I think you said something about the the mindset of relying on a fixed income. Does when you say fixed income, you're talking about actually um, getting paid for the work you do? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So there's actually a, there's an exchange of you you do something or we work, we get money from it. What you're right. now referring to is shifting the mindset. So what does that shift in mindset look like? What would be a shift? Um, a shift would be from I'm a coach and I'm taking coaching clients one-on-one. -on -one. So it's like every time that I have a client, I have to get on the line and, and um, coach them. <laughs> it, a shift in that would be maybe taking some of my coaching resources and creating a digital course or taking some of my coaching resources and putting it in a book or something that, can sell on its own. Um, and I think that we are in an age, and I, I know that it's, as a millennial, I think that we're all about like the internet. We don't know life without the internet anyway. <laughs> so we're all about the internet, but I just think that there are just so many tools and I'm still discovering a lot of them, but there are just so many tools and resources that we need to be utilizing that work when we don't work mm. and can really take off some of the stress and day-to-day -day stress so that we can spend more time doing and being with the people that we love, you know, Got it. doing You're the really talking about creating a passive stream of income, a passive stream of income. Yes. Yeah. And I actually worked um, as a mortgage loan officer for years. So I know that people scream at the top of their lungs, real estate, real estate, real estate. And I feel like that's the only passive income that people turn to. Um, and I'm not at all against real estate. I think that it's an excellent resource, but I think that it has a high barrier to entry. So I don't think that everyone is in the financial, financial position to invest in real estate. So some of the things that I help clients do is find, find some other resources to invest in or to create mm -hmm. that, you know, aren't going to be a $300,000 property that, you know you have to either borrow the money to get or <laughs> Got it. find so the right investor. People having to get into even greater debt in order to, to enter that particular, use that, that particular way of making money. Exactly. No, that. And actually, you, know, you and I were talking a little bit before we started the show about a gentleman that I connected with, um, Jason Kessler. Shout out to Jason. <laughs> and he and I did an, I did an interview with him about wealth dynamics. And I think that was really brilliant because it's an assessment that essentially lets you know how your personality type could 
be, maybe not be monetized as a personality type, but how you connect your personality to money-making ventures, like what would work for you? And it, it was really brilliant because what you're saying is that if everyone talks about real estate being the only way that you can gain passive income, but it requires such a high investment of dollars and there's the, you know, the, the know-how and the training that you have to invest in, in order to get to a point where you're actually recouping the investment, that, right. that the gap is so big for those that are just starting out or for those who don't have the financial means to get in a deeper hole is not effective. So I, I highly recommend, and I'll share in the, in the show notes, the, the information around that assessment, because I think what you're pointing to, and hopefully you can maybe see where you can use it in your coaching, will yeah. help connect people to how they can make money for themselves the best way, right? That really ties to who they are. Um, so I think that that also creates a purpose around money, right? You know, we talked, started talking about like, the shame around it and like, oh, too much, too little, I don't know, I'm in debt, my lifestyle, like all of that. But I think once we can also see the gifts that you said that we all have mm-hmm. and how that gift can also, that gift can pay us back. Right, right. So you're able to connect to that. Oh, that would be phenomenal. Yes. So um, I'm curious about when you, so you work with clients, you help them shift mindsets. What, what's the outcome of some of the mindsets that you, that you've noticed shift? What, what happens after they start thinking differently? Well, um, one of the direct shifts is that they begin earning more money, whether that be in their job, whether that be in their business. I think that a lot of the times when it comes to earning more money, our mindset is what's really not to say that they're not, there aren't economic barriers or whatever, but I think that sometimes we feel stuck and we've put ourselves in that position. So Mm -hmm. it's like, at any time, you can look for a better opportunity. And for a long time, um, I was afraid to leave that job that I knew, well, I didn't know they were gonna lay us off, but that I probably knew was not as stable as another one. I was afraid to leave it because of the money, because of the salary. I was afraid to kind of go out and do my own thing. And I think that had that fear not been there, I would have been able to actually try different things. Mm -hmm. I would have actually applied for other opportunities. I would have actually started a business earlier. You know, I would have actually done different steps. And I find that with my clients, like a lot of them are paralyzed by fear. And a lot of them are paralyzed by my, my, my situation's not bad. You know, it's, it's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not an extreme, you know, I'm not in an extreme financial hardship. I'm maybe not living the way that I want to, but I'm not, I'm not in a really bad situation. So they're comfortable mm. and they get stuck in this, this mediocrity and this, this comfort. And one of the stories that I'm always telling um, on the podcast is, you know, we both live here in Texas, um, is the how to boil a frog story. And I'm not sure if you uh, heard the story, but it's like, you don't just drop the frog in the hot boiling water, you know, you put the water at lukewarm temperature, you know, the frog's swimming around, the frog thinks it's nice and, you know, lukewarm. And then as a, after a while, you turn up the heat and it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter, but the frog never leaves the water. And I think that a lot of us are stuck in that water. Mm, and the heat has been turned up. <laughs> 
And we're just swimming around, not even thinking about it, not realizing what's happening to us. Well, I think as human beings, we, we crave homeostasis, right? That, that comfort, that is the perceived safety that is implied when we feel comfortable. And, and it could feel a little dangerous. And, and it does trigger, like you said, some of the fears, having to shift the mindset or having to do you know, something different, like actually take some action especially if you don't realize that it, you're not even willing to look like if you're not even willing to look at what's going on in the background, that that comfort is actually coming at a cost, you know, there's a, and that's for everything. And there's a payoff, right? There's a payoff for us not making any changes and there's a cost of us not making any changes. Right. And we just have to weigh those two and see, okay, so what, what matters most, what, what matters most. Um, I'm really interested now to find out. So you, as you're working with clients and you, you're really looking at their mindsets around money, mm -hmm. what do you notice? Like, what, were, what would you say are like the top three pain points? So one you said is that having people always feel like they have to work to earn. Mm -hmm. right? That's one. But what are some of the other pain points that you find people are struggling with? Um, I find that people, let's see. I find that people um, feel like they are a product of their environment sometimes, like that if their family has never created the wealth that they desire, that they don't necessarily deserve it or that they can't do it. Um, so I think overcoming their, their thoughts that it's not possible for them, but also that they don't have the tools or that they can't find the tools or that the tools don't exist for them. Um, because I remember having conversations even about the fire movement with people. And I mean, it was completely dismissed like, oh, that's not possible for me. And I'm like, it is possible for you. Maybe it's not going to happen overnight, but there are steps that anyone can take in any situation. I'm not saying that we all start out on a level playing field, but there's still something that you can do to better your situation. Interesting. So for you, you know, you've mentioned that you've been on and off work, <laughs> although it doesn't it sounds like you're always working anyway, is more about a job, right? Sometimes you've worked on your own business and other times you've worked for someone else. So talk to us a little bit about that dance that and when and how do you determine when it's time to go back into those water to the boiling water? <laughs> I like what you did there. Um, so earlier, before we started the recording, we were talking about how I personally had to have had a situation where it was like, as I created what I felt was like abundance in my personal life, my financial life began to suffer. And as I created and vice versa, when I was really focused on creating financial abundance and financial independence and growing my business and all of that, my personal relationships were suffering. And so I really struggled with finding this balance between the two. So when I had my daughter, she's going to be two in January now. So when I had my daughter, I felt like my business suffered. Um, and I think that like I was saying earlier, I never wanted to be a financial expert. And so I think that for me, it was a scary situation. Like I just didn't really want to be in the forefront of my business. I didn't want to, 
I guess one of my coaches said I wanted to hide behind my brand. (laughs) Um, But I feel like people learn through these authentic stories. And I begin to shift, not, not shift my focus on growing my business. I think that I just really just took time off to kind of figure out what it was. But like I was saying, like, you cannot be creative out of if your basic needs are not met, if you don't feel like you're financially secure. So as I was not creating the abundance that I wanted in my business at the time, I felt like, because I was focusing on my personal relationship, I felt like things begin to suffer. And because of that, I decided it would be best if I can go back to work so that I can get back to being creative, get back to serving and it not feeling like it's always about money like moving from one client to the other so at the time you had your daughter you were obviously focused solely on on your entrepreneurial venture right you're you're married i imagine your was your husband were you and your husband working together in this venture or does he have his own he has his own he 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 works he works he's an accountant okay so that's what he does even though he supports my business um and you know he helps me here and there he's not really like hands-on involved in it got it well who better to be married to if you're a mogul oh my goodness <laughs> you pinned well and we're going to come back to that because I, I have a couple <laughs> questions about that <laughs> so it sounds like you are obviously focused on as you're growing your family then the energy and the time that you had was really devoted to that which then meant that you had to scale back on what you were doing um, and I think you mentioned something interesting about how women tend to view that, right? The payoff of investing time in, in family versus career. And so talk to me a little bit more about that. What what do you notice, especially working with some of the female clients that, that you've had, how that plays out? I think we've been taught to choose, that we have to choose. Um, and even I've met women, um, even through my work that I do through my job who really have been taught to depend on a man for the financial resources. I've experienced women who have experienced financial abuse, which is a huge tool that women in abusive relationships that men use against women in abusive relationships is the finances and the money. And, um, when you say financial abuse, can you define what exactly would that look like? That would look like basically using money um, to control. For example? So if the woman feels like she can't leave because her husband refuses to give her any money um, or refuses to pay for certain resources for her to go back to school, or if she's been a housewife or a stay-at-home mom for a while and doesn't bring anything financially, she's shamed for that. Um, Even though... Being a stay-at-home mom is probably the hardest job ever. I, I don't think I would ever want to just do that. I commend all stay-at-home moms. <laughs> um, but it, they can be shamed for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've had clients that have experienced that. Um, I personally haven't experienced that, but I know there are people very close to me that have experienced that where there was someone using money as a, as a way to control to get to get you to do something that you that you don't want to do or to stay in a relationship that you don't want to stay in but you feel like you have no financial resources to get out 
So that could look like withholding money, right? Not giving somebody enough money so that they're able to do their own thing. Might also be withholding information about financial situation of the family or yeah. access to the accounts and that's sort of thing. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, or like hiding problems. Like I've met or I've had clients whose husbands have had gambling problems that they never knew about or have, you know, spent money that they had <laughs> and earned or inherited. So yeah. Okay. Got that. All right. So that's one of the areas that, that you obviously want to tackle with, with those individuals is like, okay, what's, how's the family situation going? But then come back, let's, let's go back to what you were talking about with, with women that we, you know, have this notion about being able, having to trade off one for the other. How do you help them reconcile? I think it's about finding the balance and putting systems into place. So what does your schedule look like where you're spending time with your family? Um, what does your schedule look like where you're working on your income producing activities or where you're working on um, your business or your, your life there? Mm -hmm. One thing that I've started doing is I've started hiring out. So now I have a VA who helps me with things so that I can spend more time with my family. Um, I'm very into systems now. I think that I've had to hire someone to come in and help me with all of my systems and I'm still working on developing a lot of them, but what are the ways that you are contacting people where you're not actually physically having to go contact them? Mm. So automating some areas of your life to help those areas work for you again. Yeah. So that's interesting because I think what you're pointing to, and we started talking about how you can get you know, somebody like Warren Buffett makes money work for him right, by reinvesting in things that will produce a, a return. But I can also see what you're talking about and doing the same with time. Mm -hmm. And that time is actually one of the greatest resources that get, takes a hit when you're focused on growing your family. And what you're saying is invest in a resource that will help you produce, invest, uh, uh, create an, a return on investment of time. And that's by hiring out people or creating a system where you don't have to literally be there to push all the buttons. Exactly. And then also when it comes to like your home life too, like I pick up groceries now, I do the grocery pickup, you know, grocery delivery, um, those things that are like going to help you to get back your time because you need it. <laughs> you need it to be able to develop those relationships, but you also need it in order to develop, um, your business or your other revenue. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Well, since we're talking about the home, let's talk about your accountant husband here. Because I think that's one of the other challenges is when one is working through their mindset on money is how to then connect with a, a, you know, a relationship, especially a committed relationship, whether that's marriage or living with somebody, that they mesh right? That their goals or, or vision around money mesh. So how, how did you manage all of that with your husband? If you did, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so funny because he and I have been talking a lot about developing something for couples because we felt like we needed to kind of, well, I felt like we needed to share our story. I'm convincing him on that. <laughs> <laughs> he is an accountant after all. So <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think that for a long time for us, I don't think that we, we operated very separately, which worked for us. But once we had a family, once we had my daughter, it was imperative that we combined everything. And I think that 
Grant Cardone is actually someone that I, I watch a lot. Um, he's like a real estate mogul. He's like a businessman. Um, a lot of people watch him online. But one thing that he said him and his wife Elena do is that they have a money meeting every week. Mm -hmm. um, and they spend most of their time talking about their current financial situation. They spend a small amount of time talking about their current financial situation, but they spend a large amount of time talking about their future financial situation and how they can get there. Mm -hmm. So um, we implemented that. So now we have a money meeting every week and it, it can be rough in the beginning because you kind of have to talk about everything, mistakes, good things, bad things. Um, sometimes we talk about our spending for the week. I'm definitely the spender in the relationship. So I'm always the one that's apologizing for spending something that I shouldn't have bought. <laughs> and then I'm also the dreamer and I'm, I believe in my business and what I'm creating. So I'm like, don't worry. I'm, you know, like this is, think about 20 years from now, we're going to be Apple. You know? <laughs> So my husband has to deal with that. And I think that it's just learning about each other's things and how to hold each other accountable on that. You know, he has to bring me down to earth and be like, listen, come on now. I know you're a dreamer. I know you want to be Apple in 20 years, but realistically, this is what we need to be executing this week. And I think for him, I make him see the long-term vision. Like, I don't, I don't want to just think about right now. I want us to think about what legacy we're going to leave for our daughter. Mm. How long do your meetings last? There's no time. Okay. <laughs> they can be as short as 20 minutes, but they can be as long as like an hour, an hour and a half. Interesting. So, okay. So you said in the beginning, it was a little rough. <laughs> right. right. Rough in what way? Um, I think because having a conversation about money can be hard for any, for anyone. But I think that in the beginning, we used to kind of, I don't want to say battle, but it was like, we're both, I don't want to say we're both money people, but we both think that we're right. So, <laughs> Sounds like marriage. <laughs> right. So, and we come from two different backgrounds when it comes to money. So the way that we see, we really had to learn how to see things in from the other person's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that I do a great job because of my background, you know, being able to say like, okay, well, this is why it's from my perspective. This is why I feel this way because of the background that I've come from and helping him to see that. And so I think that it took time for us both to be able to do that. So it sounds like there's now you've built a level of respect around money that was kind of hard to come by because we, we tend, tend to more be more inclined to respect others who have very similar views. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And that mm -hmm. think like us behave like us, all of that. But what you're saying is that by you all really putting things out on the table and bringing a subject that it sounds like either neither of you were really that uh, open about initially or had some some shame around that mm -hmm. now you've been able to see one another's perspectives that you don't divorce the 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 behavior of money from the lessons or the or the the way that you guys were raised and your beliefs about money. So I think it, it's really the key. And I think that's pretty much in every aspect of our life. We can't divorce current behavior. Current behavior is born out of 
beliefs, right? And if we can get to the belief and start talking about that, about anything in life, and we can really get to like, why does a person feel that this is the way to do it? That comes from someplace. And if we can tap into that, it gives us a much better access point to respect that person's decisions, choices, behaviors, and then have a greater level of influence in order for us to then you know, change or, or adapt or, or add on. So that, that's really brilliant. So what, do you have something for couples now? Are you working on it still? What's the, what's the latest? We are working on it. Um, we're, we are working on it. So it's definitely something that I, that I want to do. Like um, I want to do like a mastermind for couples um, and also do like a annual kind of retreat where we learn how to talk about money because it helps you to create an intimacy in your relationship. That's just like so necessary mm. um, because when you are completely open and intimate about your financial situation, I just feel like it, the, that intimacy spills over into other areas of your life. And I literally feel like I can talk to him about anything, like absolutely mm -hmm. anything. Um, and that is key in a marriage. Absolutely. Oh, huge, huge. Cool. Oh, man, Delisa, this has been fun. I, I so appreciate the, the, the knowledge, the, the, your being so forthcoming and open around your own story around money, around the things that you've learned through working with others. And so tell us a little bit about where people can find you, what information that you have that they should be accessing. Yes, yes. So um, I have an Abundant Life Masterclass, um, which is about an hour masterclass that I have created, where I talk about how you can create abundance in all the areas of your life. Um, you can definitely subscribe to the podcast called Secrets of a Money Mogul. Um, oh, and then the class is um, mymoneymogul.com slash class. We'll get you to the masterclass. Cool. And I'll put all of this in the show notes, guys, so that way you don't have to sit and try to figure out how to spell everything. You'll, you'll be able to click straight away from the, the show notes. Anything else, Delisa, that you'd like to share with others about, about anything around this topic? No. If I could say anything, it's that you are worthy of wealth. Whoever's listening, this, listening to this or watching this, you are worthy of the wealth that you desire, and you can go out there and get it and create it. Um, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Oh, love that. I am worthy of the wealth. <laughs> <laughs> I received that. <laughs> Very good. Oh my goodness. As usual, a fan fantastic conversation. I'm sure that there's, there's more to come. And if nothing else, we've stirred up some people in their marriage or in their mindset about their business or their work. And, and you know, I hope that you all start listening and thinking a little bit differently out of this conversation. Feel, feel free again to share this with your own network because it'll engage you in some meaningful topics, uh, meaningful conversations around this very important topic. Uh, for now, I'd like to say thank you all for joining us. Next week, we have a, another wonderful guest, Dominique Wrench who is actually going to talk about her vegan lifestyle. We've not talked that much about nutrition, but uh, she's a person that brings a wealth of knowledge and experience about being a vegan and also how that's contributed to her, not only for personally, but also in the community. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Time to Come Alive. Jaliza, once again, thank you for having joined us and happy to see you next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>